Welcome to Leadership, The Journey with No Summit, with best-selling author and retired U.S. Army Major General, Robert W. Mixon, Jr. Best known for his ability to inspire audiences, motivate teams, build leaders, and create cultures of excellence, Robert shares effective values-based leadership strategies and tools your team can put into practice immediately that will fuel your company's lasting success. Now, here is your host, Robert Mixon. Welcome, everyone, to the Level 5 podcast series as we continue our journey today. And we're privileged to have uh, as our guest for interview today, Mr. Doug Wiles, president of Herbie Wiles Insurance and the former Democratic leader of the Florida House of Representatives. Uh, I've had the privilege of knowing Doug for about four decades now or so, give or take. And uh, he has been a leader in both the military, both in the active army and in the Florida National Guard. Uh, he's been a, a, an active leader in the business community uh, with a very successful uh, insurance company there in headquartered in St. Augustine. And uh, he's been someone that I've admired and respected as a leader and a friend. So Doug, uh, thanks for joining us today as we talk about the topic, uh, an easy one here, on becoming a learning leader. Uh, welcome to you, Doug. Well, good to be here with you, Robert, always. So we have some questions that I want to put forward, and then obviously you can you know, take it however you want it to go, Doug. But I want to talk about your journey as a leader and some of the lessons you have learned. And I think the first question that uh, I had in mind here was to ask you, what's the most important aspect of being a learning leader that you have observed throughout your journey? Hmm. That's a tough one because I don't think leadership can be put into nice, neat little containers and set aside and you pick a little one here when you need it and, and others. It's a, it's a package. But, you know, when you look at, at what I admire most and I think is most important is the ability to, to listen, uh, to reach out, to understand those that are working with you and for you and essentially those that uh, you work for uh, to try to understand what they understand and what they're experiencing. And in fact, I really kind of like to work in the trench as much as I like to work, you know, for lack of better words, in the executive suite. I think it gives me a perspective um, that is unique, uh, and it allows me to hopefully make some good decisions, um, you know, in the future as well. Robert, when I was the uh, minority leader in the House, Florida House, uh, I worked with a very, very diverse group of uh, members from all over the state of Florida. And just like in Congress or in any political body today, everybody's got their own idea and, and they come to that based on where they're from. Uh, and once you can understand a little bit better where they're from and what sort of gave them their perspective, uh, you begin to understand them a little better. Uh, so one of my objectives when I first was elected to the House, goodness, now it's 24, 25 years ago, um, I traveled around the state of Florida just to meet these folks, um, to get them to introduce me to their neighborhoods and their friends, uh, and to sit around and visit with them for a little bit. Uh, I mean, heck, I, a lot of them, I didn't agree with their positions, but the point was at least I could appreciate their position and understand. And with that came the ability to lead more effectively. Uh, and it was just as simple as asking 
or not asking somebody to do something when I knew it would be offensive to them, or perhaps not in keeping with their own set of values. Uh, you know, clearly something that's uh, missing in today's political environment, uh, but it certainly was valuable to me uh, with a group of folks, uh, you know, that had their own agendas and were sort of type A personalities <laughs> in the house anyhow. Uh, and I think that's no different than really uh, operating a business, uh, but on a, on a much lesser scale. So listening and understanding uh, where those that work for you come from, I think has to be on the top of my list. Okay, thanks, Doug. You know, the uh, Stephen Covey quote about, you know, most people do not listen uh, with the intent to understand, they listen with the intent to reply. I think that's a powerful mm -hmm. statement that you kind of echoed here, the importance of listening with the intent to understand. Absolutely. Yeah. So <clears throat> as far as the, as the big six goes, that's a home run hit uh, in my book, and uh, good for you. What's the biggest mistake, perhaps, that you made as a leader when you could have learned through self-examination, or you observed someone else who didn't learn through self-examination? Share that with us. Yeah, I, another one that's hard to pick. Robert, we could start with probably my first major mistake was not getting my armored cav platoon out the back gate one Sunday morning for a training exercise because of a complete failure of all of us, me most importantly of not properly conducting maintenance on our vehicles. Um, uh, but setting that one aside, which I still vividly remember today, uh, and that kind of serves as an example of sort of being prepared um, there's a few years ago, well, more than a few years ago, um, in, in my business, um, we really relied on a very good and a very effective, um, manager, uh, operations, uh, vice president, as a matter of fact, who was well-liked and did a great job. And, um, suddenly, uh, through no fault of anybody, um, she left. Doesn't make any difference why, really, except that it wasn't adverse. Um, but suddenly we were left holding the bag, and our staff uh, really felt that. Uh, I've got uh, today about 26 people that work for me or with me. Um, it was about the same back then, maybe a few more. Um, but boy, what a void. And um, as I began to think about that, um, wow. As a, as a leader, I really let everybody down because I really failed to plan for that possibility. Uh, there was really nobody in line uh, to step up and, um, and take her position. Um, and it was an awful lot of hard work uh, with those of us who had other duties and responsibilities uh, to really step in. Uh, so from that point on, uh, we've tried not to be unprepared uh, for most potential things that could happen. And, and I mean, frankly, we're all put on this earth for a given period of time and we could be taken for any reason, automobile accident, stepping in front of a train. Uh, if that happens to a key leader, what in the world do you do? Um, and beyond that, I think in Florida, at least, <laughs> we have lots of other contingencies like hurricanes and other nasty things that can happen, that if we're not really prepared for that, you know, it could be a disaster. The irony of it is we were pretty good at preparing for natural storms and hurricanes. We were terrible back then 
at really lining up our leadership. So I think um, the failure to plan was really the, one of the most painful things for me. Um, other, other than failing to get out of the back gate in 1975. <laughs> so. Well, that, that's an excellent point, Doug. You know, the, uh, you know, who's the next you is an important question. I think we all need to ask ourselves when we're in resistant leadership. You know, who's the next you? And have that next you identified and do something about getting him or her ready to assume the role before they have to step into it. I think is where you're going. Well, exactly. And I think um, when it comes to personally, you know, that's probably the hardest thing for most leaders to do. I mean, we're enjoying ourselves. Life is good. No plans for retirement. Um, you know, why do I need to plan that way? Uh, but I'll tell you, um, I've, from what I've seen, the most effective leaders are those that, that have a plan after them, an accession plan. Uh, and I think it does more than just give you some level of comfort. It, it means that you're really preparing uh, your subordinates, those that work for you for that next opportunity. Uh, those that understand will deeply appreciate that. And now you've got a much more competent, much more educated, uh, much more prepared staff. Um, but um, you know, beyond that, it's the right thing to do, um, bottom line. And uh, I'm surprised at how many of us really don't do that. Mm -hmm. Excellent point. Excellent point, Doug. The next question I want to ask as we're talking about the journey here, you know, is how do you identify which managers, and I think by managers we're talking about those who steward resources, right? How do you identify managers that could become leaders who could be responsible for others uh, in, in addition to allocating and controlling resources? Because some never make that transition very well. Yeah. And we've, you know, we've made the mistake, I certainly have, of putting some managers in leadership positions who weren't, uh, who weren't ready for that or didn't have the DNA to do it. Uh, what's, yeah. What are your thoughts here? Goodness, I, I think we've all, you know, even in our best uh, guess or, or best analysis, have always not found the right person. Um, you know, it's an interesting question, especially given what I just, what we just talked about. You know, the irony of, of that story is um, that the person who is the vice president of operations for my business today was the person in 2007 that reached out to me, that stepped up and said, Wiles, I know you got a problem. If there's anything in the world I can do to help uh, with the departure of this manager, I'm here, let me know. The other irony of that is that Letha was one of the most junior members of my staff. Um, in other words, the folks that I would have expected to jump into the breach and help me with the fire, um, they were there. I think they did what they thought they could do, but the person who really made the difference uh, was someone who had been with us about four months. Hmm. Um, and so we gave her that chance and gave her that opportunity, uh, and the rest is history. And today, she's literally number two in the office. So, I mean, that goes to show you what anyone can do if they're ready and are prepared to accept leadership. But beyond that, I think what you asked is, well, how do you identify those folks? I, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a single set of criteria that we look at, but I'll tell you a little bit 
uh, of what I think. Uh, one, it's looking for people who step up for the tough jobs when nobody else does. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that shows uh, teamwork. I think it shows uh, commitment. I believe it shows that you care uh, not only about what it is you're doing, but those that you work with. Uh, and it could be just something as simple as, you know, I'll lock up the office tonight. Or, yeah, it's a mess in the bathroom. I'll clean that up for everybody else. Or, uh, as I find sometimes uh, when somebody's on vacation who has a kitchen duty, <laughs> we call it, that is making sure the dishes are clean, um, somebody will go in there every night, even though the person responsible happens to be out of the office, and they'll clean it up for us. Uh, so somebody that steps up. I think um, the second thing I like to see and I look for is somebody that's got bigger ears than they have a mouth. Uh, <laughs> somebody that, <laughs> it's funny, but it's kind of no, the way true. I put it. Yeah. Um, the, the person that stands um, in the crowd or on the edge of the crowd in the team and they're listening and observing uh, so that they can understand what's going on, I think it's a lot better than the person in the middle of that crowd who's beaten on their chest all day long. Um, I think that shows uh, maturity and, and uh, a sense of reserve uh, that, that many of us look for in leaders. Um, I, I think the third thing is, uh, if, especially if you're looking within your own group, you know, who is it that, that gets the respect of others? Um, and I think you got to give respect in order to get it. And we want respectful leaders, those that understand, you know, how the buttons are pushed, but also who are caring enough uh, not to ask their subordinates to do something that they wouldn't do either. And uh, and I think I see that uh, in our team and our work with those who uh, really get a little more attention, a little more respect. Oh, give it to Joe. He He can handle that. Um, and then finally, and I think obvious, I think you need to have somebody that's smart. Uh, and I don't mean that necessarily as book smart. I think just smart when it comes to, uh, you know, they're working with others and understanding, you know, what makes the world go around. And that's an intuitive sort of smart. Um, I think more importantly in being smart is to understand how dumb you are so that you don't make the same mistake and perhaps you're calling on somebody else to give you a hand. So and that's sort of my summary of what we've looked for in the past. And, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Folks have a tendency of, I won't say fooling you, but, you know, you may misunderstand a few, but I think if you've got a, I think you have a pretty complete package. You know, if you look at somebody who steps up, who listens, who's respected, and who's fairly street smart. Yeah, good point. I think those are four uh, excellent components of leadership as far as ingredients of being mm -hmm. able to be responsible for others uh, mm -hmm. as, as opposed to simply stewarding the resource, mm -hmm. which could be, you know, a finite resource and not necessarily people. So. Uh, mm -hmm. and given that, you know, and being able to have someone you identify, train, who steps up, uh, that seems to be an essential ingredient of a healthy culture. What else do you think is symptomatic or indicative of having uh, a world-class culture in your organization? Well, 
you know, that's, that's an int- that's hard to, it's hard to sometimes put that into a nice, neat little package, just as it is to uh, identify. But, you know, I'd like to think that we've got a pretty good culture in my agency. Uh, and I see other places um, that do pretty well as, as well. Uh, I, I think that, um, you know, and, and I know in, in one of your books I recently read, doing the right thing even when nobody is looking uh, is a clear indication of a commitment to others that you just don't find all the time. And I, I kind of look at people that go out of their way to do the right thing uh, as, as part of a culture that encourages them. Not all, not the culture, but at least the person sometimes. I think a level of trust among members of the team, uh, fellow employees, uh, knowing that they have your back if you're called out of the office or you get busy, or frankly, you raise your hand and you need a little help about something, somebody's going to step up and say, yeah, I, I can give you a hand with that. Uh, and knowing that it's going to be done right. Or, you know, perhaps when the boss has to leave a little early, um, intentionally or otherwise, uh, that he can do that or she can do that uh, without a whole lot of trouble and a lot a whole lot of worry. So trust, I think, is in there. Um, I think along with doing the right thing is empowering folks to do the right thing. Uh, in, in my business, um, we're all about trying to provide peace of mind and protection uh, for families and businesses across, you know, North Florida. And um, that means more than just writing a policy. It, it means a lot of other things. And um, I, I think we empower, try to empower our folks to do the full job so that when the customer calls and asks a question, the response is not, well, that sounds like it's a pretty good idea. Let me go ask my supervisor. Boy, that's a no-no in my business. You take responsibility for that accountability. If it's a reasonable and fair thing to do, we'll figure out a way to do it in the back office. And so we really try to encourage people to make good decisions. And by the way, I think that helps them become good leaders uh, because they have a piece of this action now. They've got to sell it to me. (laughs) We'll figure out how to do it. But we're going to ask the person who made the commitment first, how do we fix or how do we change or how do we meet that expectation? Uh, I I think communication is critical. Um, Man, and boy, is that tough today. you know, fortunately, most of our staff is uh, in the office uh, during this coronavirus pandemic, but we've got six people who work outside the office as permanent telecommuters. And so when this thing hit, you know, having Zoom conferences and videos and conference calls were not unusual to us. And we had the hardware and the technology in order to do that, Robert. So it turned out well, but it's more than that. It's having the right number of meetings even if it's only for 10 or 15 minutes uh, to kind of bring us together. Uh, you know, I'm dressed up today in a, <laughs> in a, um, a tropical shirt because it's tropical Thursday at my office. It's kind of a fun thing to do, which I'm going to tell you about in a minute. But um, in order to make that happen, uh, we gathered together this morning for eight minutes, I think it was total, so that everybody at home could show off their tropical shirts as well. Um, And some of them had some pretty interesting combinations there. (laughs) 
Um, and that brings me to the last point, I think, in part of a culture is, you know, we got to have fun. I mean, this has got to be a good place to go to. Somebody's got to wake up in the morning, uh, get through the morning routine with an expectation that they're going to enjoy what they do during the day. And as I encourage my folks, hey, if you're not having fun, let's figure out how we can fix that. Or maybe there's another place for you that I can help you be if you're really not enjoying yourself here. So I think those key elements to me seem to have worked pretty good for us and other places that I've been. Robert, I hope that is a long answer to a short question, but I hope that helps. Yeah, it's very thoughtful, Doug. Uh, you know, the, the ecosystem that we call a culture has some certain qualities. As you know, it's been one of my passions over recent years is to identify what those qualities are. But I certainly think you've, uh, you've given us some great insights in that regard. What advice would you give aspiring leaders to become learners, to be receptive to the idea that things aren't going to go well sometimes? You know, we need to learn and grow from it. Well, um, I think reading is a pretty important part. Um, you've published some great books, by the way. I, I've enjoyed reading each one, and, and I enjoy your, your blogs, especially the one today, Robert. Um, but um, I, I think uh, leadership and organization and um, is, is not something – that you can teach, but I think you can identify some traits within yourself if you just know kind of what to look for. And um, uh, most people are just not going to be able to effectively articulate what a good leader is to the average person that works for them. So I think getting a good idea, and there's a ton of folks out there, including you, uh, that write about leadership and what makes organizations good and I think overall that that not only makes you a better person, but it also makes you a better team member. I think the second thing is, if you can, is identify a mentor. Pick somebody that you think is a pretty sharp person um, and look up to him or her uh, for advice and counsel. They don't necessarily need to know that you're a mentor, although that might not be a bad thing to communicate. <laughs> but um, find somebody that you can emulate, that you trust, that you feel does a good job, and that you want to be like. Maybe not all the traits, but most of them. And watch them. And I think every business that's worth its weight in gold has got a, a more than a few of those running around. And they may not even be leaders. They may be aspiring leaders, folks that understand what's happening. And then what somebody, anybody can always do is watch. Uh, watch what's going on. Uh, identify things that maybe aren't going right and why. Uh, maybe traits in person people that that's not good. Let, uh, and, and why is it not good? Or uh, uh, things that people do uh, that, hey, I, I'd like to do that one day. Um, and watching people um, is, a, is a clear way of doing that. And if, if nothing else, just watching folks on the news. You know, there are leaders that stand out, both good and bad, uh, in every nightly newscast that I've seen. And they're pretty quick to identify um, whether somebody's doing it right or whether they may need a little improvement. Uh, so from a national level, right down to your own office, perhaps in your own family, 
there are opportunities to watch, uh, to find a mentor, uh, and then certainly to read um, uh, about leadership and what what it takes are three things that I think uh, folks could use and um, and might, especially younger, might uh, might really take advantage of. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Doug. Uh, so if there's one big idea, and we've talked about several here, that you'd ask, you'd recommend to our listeners to take away from the podcast today. Uh, what would be that big idea? Well, if I could say two, Robert. Um, okay. You get I'll two. focus on one. I'll focus on one. But I really believe that I've gotten more by being a listener than just about anything else I've done, and a listener and an observer. Uh, and then, you know, finding both good and bad that you can listen to and observe and then create your own opinion. So, you know, I think we need more good listeners in the world than we need good speakers. Uh, so being a listener is key. But, you know, even more importantly to that is that when your time comes to be a leader, uh, you're only as effective as you are prepared. And, um, you know, by being prepared, I mean uh, doing the right things where you are in the sandbox today so that when that opportunity arises, uh, you're better prepared, uh, you know, to meet the crisis. Uh, Letha in my office is an example. Uh, kept her head down for two or three months. That opportunity unexpectedly arose when we lost a manager. And all she did was say, let me help. And that was a door that opened a crack and became uh, much wider as time went along. And obviously she had prepared herself uh, to, um, in her own way, uh, to really take over. And frankly, together we had a lot of mistakes along the way. I mean, we're all human. We're not gonna be the best in the world. But the fact that you intuitively um, uh, are prepared for that next level for that next job, for that next duty, for that next leadership opportunity is, is what I think separates those who are successful initially and, and those who fail. That's great insight, Doug. Thanks a lot. I think as we, uh, as we reflect on what you've given us today in terms of uh, some nuggets of experience and, and wisdom here, uh, there's a lot of takeaways that I think our audience uh, can, can put in their toolbox whether it's self-awareness, self-examination, preparedness, and listening. I think all of those tools are gonna to resonate uh, with a lot of the, the leaders that are out there. And uh, I wanna say thanks again, my friend, for taking the time to share your thoughts with us and uh, give us some insights. Uh, you know, this is a journey with no summit and uh, we're privileged to have had people like you come on the podcast and now we have created and are creating a library of information that people can listen to and then go back and refer to. And I think that's outstanding. So appreciate all you are doing and have done to grow leaders and uh, create a world-class culture up there at Herbie Wilds Insurance and, and throughout North Florida and what you're doing. But uh, it's great being with you, Doug, and I encourage our listeners to tune in next time for our, our next podcast in the series as we'll continue to explore the big six principles and how the journeys of people who have been successful, like you, uh, have learned from their mistakes, but still been willing to make mistakes and learn from them and grow other leaders 
who have that same philosophy. Thank you, Robert. It's been an honor to be with you, and I mean that sincerely. Thank you for listening to Leadership, The Journey with No Summit. Be sure to give our podcast a great review wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 